1: There's a battle going on for the souls of men, the taste of war is ever near, but I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride, she is the keeper of my soul, she is the church of Christ, I'll not
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Brightenbaugh of the Gospel Defender Ministries. This gospel message will encourage and equip those who have ears to hear to be a Christian clothed with the armor of a gospel defender. I'll not surrender. i
1: not
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the spiritual war between the philosophy of the world of darkness and the philosophy of the kingdom of light, between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Christ, is nothing new. It has been fought since the third chapter of Genesis. It was at that time the serpent of old called in Revelation 12 verse 9, the devil and Satan was cursed by God Almighty to crawl on his belly and eat dust all the days of his life for deceiving Eve by his craftiness to transgress God's only law at that time, a law that prohibited the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The crafty cunning serpent was cursed and so were Eve and Adam for listening to and obeying the old serpent's message that slithered across his hellish, silver tongue. And so have we. Since that event in Genesis 3, the entire human race has been cursed with a death sentence. As Apostle Paul reminded his Roman brethren in Romans 3, verse 12, Through one man sin entered the world, and death Through sin, death spread to all men, because all sinned. Just to make sure you understand what the Bible is saying about all of this, you and I have not inherited Adam's sin. We were not born in sin. No one ever has been. But you and I have inherited Adam's punishment for sin, death. The next time you visit a cemetery and look out over all of its tombstones, just remember, what you behold is all because of Satan. He is to blame for it all. Had it not been for his persuasive power over Eve, there would be no funeral directors or casket or vault or tombstone businesses in operation today. Don't make the mistake. thinking the fault for all of this, not even the death of those you love, who are laying in a box inside a vault, under the ground marked with their name on the tombstone, is that of a mean God. If you are going to get mad at someone about why your loved one died the way he or she did, get mad at the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, because all of this is the result of his smooth, forked tongue. Before people die, they purchase a ticket to enter either eternal death in hell or eternal life in the city of the New Jerusalem. While people are alive, they have the choice of their destinations, hell or heaven, but once they breathe their last breath, there is no cancelling or exchanging their ticket. There are no second chances, no limbo, no purgatory. There may be regrets, but there is nothing anyone can do to reroute their trip. Knowing these things, it is important that you choose the right travel agent, Jesus the Savior or Satan, the serpent. It is your choice and yours alone. I have opted for Jesus, the Son of God. Some people listening to this message have boarded the wrong train, the wrong plane, or the wrong boat. Pick your own metaphor, but it is all the same. Some have boarded transportation marked religion, but have chosen the wrong one having a bad engineer, a bad pilot, or a bad captain. Again, pick your own metaphor, but it is still all the same. Every city or town, including yours, have their own travel agents who promise those who come to their travel agency that they will leave the station, the airport, or the dock with the guarantee that if they will follow the travel agent's instructions on their ticket, he or she is guaranteed a safe trip to a place where there are angels, harps, and clouds fluffier than Charmin. But such is not the case, and it never has been the case. They are false travel agents who issue false tickets every time they spout their spiel. There is only one ticket that will get anyone to the New Jerusalem, and it is the ticket issued by the Captain of Salvation, Jesus the Christ, the Lamb of God, who resurrected from the dead and is alive and has the keys of Hades and death. This ticket has been stamped with his blood, and gives its bearers the right to enter eternal life. All other tickets have been issued by Satan and his ministers, stamped with a skull and crossbones, and punched with his deadly fangs. As we said in our first message in this series, ministers of Satan are nothing new. They were around even while the Apostles of Jesus Christ were traversing the roads of ancient countries, preaching the saving message of Jesus Christ and His Gospel. The religious assemblies of these ungodly satanic messengers have never escaped the sight of the One who built the only legitimate church there ever has been or ever will be, his New Testament church, revealed in Holy Writ. Four of them are noted in the last book of the New Testament. They were in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, and Philadelphia of Revelation 2 and 3. In those two chapters, Jesus told an angel or messenger, of each of the seven churches in Asia, to write a letter to each of those churches. Although they were written by an angel or messenger, the content of those letters was from the one who built his church with his own blood that was shed on a cross at Golgotha. Because of this, It would be wise of us to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and especially so for those today who profess to be followers of Christ. First, to the church of Ephesus, an angel wrote in Revelation 2, verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. The Lord, who had his church in Ephesus in his right hand, said there were false apostles, men who were liars in Ephesus, and perhaps even in the congregation of his people located there. If anyone should have known that this was true, It was the Lord of the church, and he knew. Second to the church in Smyrna, an angel wrote in Revelation 2, verse 9, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The Lord, who had his church in Smyrna in his right hand, said there was a synagogue of Satan in downtown Smyrna, the same city in which there was a local church that Jesus had built. This can be said of most cities. There are synagogues of Satan right alongside congregations that Jesus has built. Ladies and gentlemen, not every church building in your town is a building that houses the church that Jesus built. Most church buildings do not. Third, to the church in Pergamos, an angel wrote in Revelation 2, verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. The Lord, who had his church in Pergamos in his right hand, said Satan's throne was in downtown Pergamos, perhaps next door to or across the street from the one Jesus had built. Satan's throne is within the city limits of most, if not all, cities in America. Cities are filled with church buildings, and Satan's throne proudly sits in the midst of them all. each with one of Satan's ministers leading the work. And then, fourthly, to the church in Philadelphia, an angel wrote in Revelation 3, verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. Again, in this fourth city, the city of brotherly love, Satan had a synagogue of people who worshipped him perhaps on the opposite corner of the intersection where the church in Philadelphia sat. The building that housed Satan's synagogue perhaps outclassed the building that housed the church that Jesus built, and this is why there were more people attending it. It perhaps had the latest gadgets and gizmos that boasted of a contemporary worship style that could keep the attention of its congregants. It may have had special appeal to teenagers by offering recreational rooms, workout centers, and cafes. All of this that has nothing to do with Christ or his gospel brought in the kids with their parents. After all, if the kids are not happy with the church, no one is happy with a church. Besides, mom and dad have long ago surrendered their parenting responsibilities, and the kids are in charge of the family. But all of this is another sermon for another time. Ladies and gentlemen, the first preacher to preach God's word denied and changed God's word. And it resulted in Eve and her husband being driven from the garden in Eden. They lost their innocence. They lost their relationship with their Creator. They lost everything except their physical life on that day, and eventually lost even that. Humanity has inherited not their sin, but the consequence of their sin eternal, everlasting death. It would take the next 4,000 years before God finished His plan of redemption, but countless ministers of Satan continue to change, twist, deny, and refute God's saving message of salvation through the blood of His Lamb, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ. Until Jesus returns for his beloved bride, his church, Satan's ministers will stand behind pulpits and on large platforms, unashamedly, parading themselves before us with their messages that end in damnation rather than salvation. Not until Jesus returns and casts his arch enemy into the everlasting fire prepared for him and his angels. Will the world be free from having to hear his ministers preach false gospel messages filled with false doctrine? But we have been forewarned, as Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, We are to be sober, be vigilant, because our adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Only those who are well informed and who are defenders of the truth are equipped to discern who is a minister of Satan and who is a minister of Christ. It is in this series of messages that we will contrast these two ministers by noting the differences in their messages. It will come as a surprise to some that both preach the same subjects. This is the danger about which Apostle Paul was concerned, concerning his Corinthian brethren. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he told them, I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Satan deceives many with false messages preached by his ministers. They do this in the way Paul described in Romans 16, verse 18. By smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. To prepare his apostles and his kingdom, the church, for the Roman invasion of the holy city of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., Jesus told them in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. That warning was specifically for the first century saints of God, but it is also applicable to the 21st century church. There are deceivers in religion, many of them, Whether they do this knowingly or unknowingly, we will leave to the judgment of God. But whether these deceivers do their deceiving in innocence or in ignorance will not matter to those who find themselves in hell because of believing and obeying their messages of deceit. It is the truth and only the truth that makes men free. It is the truth that saves men from sin and hell not smooth words or flattering speech. And it is certainly not sincerity or good intentions alone that prepare men and women for eternity. Many roads to hell are marked with sincerity and good intentions. Ministers of Satan are not easy to identify by those who know next to nothing about God's Word. And like it or not, most people know little about God's Word. Many have heard about the Bible. They have seen a Bible, and perhaps even own a Bible. Maybe two. But many people, if given a Bible test, on a kindergarten level, wouldn't score high enough to be in the top 1,000. So Before I tell you what ministers of Satan preach, let me help you with identifying them in another way. As we have noted, Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15, They appear to the masses as ministers of righteousness. If I were a minister of Satan, I would not appear behind a pulpit, wearing a red suit with two horns jutting from my forehead while holding a pitchfork. And they don't. That would be far too obvious. They disguise themselves. Some of them wear expensive, fancy suits with watch fobs and gold chains and oversized rings on their fingers that boast of being a graduate of some well-known theological seminary. Behind their names is an alphabet soup of letters. The more letters, the more convincing it is to those who know no better that they are great learned men of the Bible who even know Hebrew and Greek. These things help to intimidate their audience to believe they are far smarter than anyone to whom they preach. And therefore, no one should dare to question or challenge anything that comes from their mouth, regardless of how outlandish or ridiculous it may sound. And then also, if I were a minister of Satan, I would be identified by religious titles and names that project an aura about myself that would impress my audience, that I was superior to them as far as my knowledge and understanding of God's Word. To make me look more holy and authoritative, I would call myself reverend or right reverend, or most holy reverend. I might even wear a backward white collar to separate myself from those who don't, to those who know nothing of God's word. I would present myself as, and allow myself to be called, bishop, archbishop, cardinal, his eminence, or even father. If I could get enough people to vote for me, I would even permit myself to be called pope i would wear special clothing that projected the image and impressed the ignorant that i was a special priest who alone could minister at the table of the lord gold crosses and chains would hang from my body i would carry an image of the cross while sauntering down the center aisle followed by boys holding candles bigger than they Ladies and gentlemen, I would preach the devil's message, but I am not a minister of Satan. I'm a minister of the Christ who so loved the world that he was willing to die for our sins and save us from a godless hell. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In the next message, I will tell you not what ministers of Satan do not preach, but what they do preach. We can only hope and pray that you are hungry to hear how ministers of Satan and ministers of Christ agree on the subjects to preach, but disagree on the substance of the subjects. May God give you the grace to be willing to hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
1: There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is there. God's dear bride She is the keeper of my soul She is the church of Christ I'll not surrender
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Brightenbaugh speaking. You have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast brought to you by the church that Jesus built and preaches all of the word to all of the world. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So find someone today. Who will immerse you into Christ today before it is everlastingly too late? Our God mailing address is Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box 575, 575 Chillicothe, C H I L L I C O T H E, Chillicothe, Ohio, Zip 456 01. You can also contact us through the World Wide Web at gospel-defender.org or by email at agosdef, A-G-O-S-D-E-F, agosdef at roadrunner.com. At your request, a written transcript or an audio copy of today's message Will be sent to you free of charge, with no obligation from you now or in the future. We need to hear from you as soon as possible, so please take the time to contact us today. Now, until you and I meet again at this same time and at this same place, our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set. For the defense of the gospel.